Welcome to Montessori Moment. I am your host, Liz Monson. Today, I have with me my parents, who I will interview about what it was like to have a preschooler and have that preschooler grow into an adult and also to have raised a child and then experience through that child as an adult going through the Montessori training process, how that changed or didn't change the perspective of child rearing. Here, her name is Lisa. Hello. And my dad is here. His name is Mel. Hello. All right. So you had me at what age? We were 31. You were both 31. Yes. Okay. And I am an only child. Right. And when did I start going to school? Well, you went to preschool. I don't know if that counts. That, excuse you, that definitely counts. Well, it wasn't Montessori. It was a little more casual. But yes, you were three years and five months. Okay, and how long did I go to preschool for? Two years. And when did I go to kindergarten? Right after that. And it was at the local public school? Correct. Why did you enroll me in preschool? Well... Your cousin was going to preschool, and I think you wanted to go. But I think also we were concerned, well, maybe that's too strong a word, but we wanted you to get more interaction with other children, because prior to when you went to preschool, your grandma was um, providing the child care, so you weren't around a lot of other children in a regular sort of daycare or childcare, So you wanted to socialize me. Yeah, we wanted more right. socialization. Well, one of the reasons I thought it would be interesting to have you on the podcast, um, because while I spend all of my time with small children, I don't have any small children. And so while I interact with parents all the time and think about them all the time, I am not a parent. So there's kind of a perspective that I don't have. Uh, so when you enrolled me in preschool, what your goals were or your motivations were about socializing me. I think so. I think also we wanted to have you start getting a little more of a uh, structured environment so you would be ready when it was time to go to kindergarten to be used to that, getting up at a certain time and going to class. So what were your concerns when you sent me to preschool and to kindergarten? Like, What were you worried about? Were you worried about something? Well, I think... We were definitely worried about something. You're always worried about something. That's true. That's true. (laughs) I could talk about the kindergarten. What I think I was most concerned about when you went to kindergarten was that you had what I thought would be a good teacher. With hindsight, I have no idea. I have no idea what that means. I I think in, in kindergarten, a good teacher, at least traditionally, would be a teacher that made you interested in learning and made you help helped you to learn to like learning. Okay, well the Montessorian in me would argue that you can't make anyone be interested in learning because children are naturally interested in learning, but you can remove the barriers between them and learning. Well, yes, and I but I think also a teacher could put up barriers to learning if they weren't in the right job. Yeah, so your idea of a good kindergarten teacher would be somebody who would encourage curiosity and learning in children. Yes. And I think we, in our limited experience, because we didn't know anything about really... How did you pick? 
how did we pick the, the preschool pre- the preschool and how did you i guess there weren't really choices at that time and where we lived in kindergarten but i think because your cousin went there and we investigated it to see you know what we thought of it it was a preschool actually run by uh, the Anchorage School District in the career education for high school students. So it had a very high ratio of teachers to students for a preschool because they had... Is that something you were looking for? It was something that I thought was safer, I guess. When you you have one high school student per every three kids, it's better than the, the... a better ratio than a school where you'll go and you have you know, kids running wild. Right, and I sure. think that uh, we also had an impression, right or wrong, that because it was part of an early childhood education program... They would be on, like, the cutting edge they of would They would maybe know more. Right. So what were your goals for my education, especially as a younger child, so, like, preschool, kindergarten, elementary school, your educational goals for me? Well, I think, you know, what your dad was kind of referred to before, the biggest goal I had was having you discover learning and be interested in learning and be excited about it. So that didn't really change over time. That was constant. I think it was constant until way later. Or are you just seeing this in retrospect? No, I, I think that was what we were thinking at the time. I think in retrospect... I should have had a little more focus on some of the non-traditional, what I thought of as the educational goals, which were learn to read and write and count and all that. And I didn't focus on the learning how to get along with other children, learning how to resolve conflicts. And I think now, looking back, that is more important than I realized at the time. What... um kind of skills so those kind of go into my question about skills for the modern world like conflict resolution and um maybe independence um what kind of skills for the modern world did you see those as coming from preschool or kindergarten or when did you think i would get those oh i definitely thought you'd start getting them in in preschool um you would make new friends have new social interactions it was it was definitely going to be a more complex world for you than just you know going to your grandmother and grandfather's house what did you think what kind of skills did you think i would need for the modern world like to prepare me to enter the workforce at age 18 or whatever well i think because with- i think that those have maybe changed since when you entered the workforce I, with hindsight, I think they have changed. Not that you're old. Not that we're old. (laughs) I think they have changed a little bit in that probably prior to when your dad and I started working, it was more, you know, you you found a job and you found a company and you stayed there and you worked for most of your working career. Uh Today, I see it being different in that you go and will have you will have a lot of jobs over your lifetime and you will be more the the little company and be marketing yourself to others 
Whereas before, you just worked for the company and mm. you didn't have to market yourself. And so I think the skills... So it's more individualized. It's more individualized and you have to be able to... Adapt. Adapt and you have to be able to sell yourself. You have to have good interpersonal skills so you come across well in an interview. So you work well in groups so that you can... Um, change your skill set to match the changing environment. Work. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the difference is... You know, traditionally, in, in the olden times when we were going to mm-hmm. work, that you you only had to sell yourself once. Right. You got a you had a career. You had a career at one place, and so you didn't really have to. And now people move around more. Right. You had to, you have to be more flexible to apply yourself to what's available now. I think. So was there any kind of education that you at the time thought was really important for me to receive, but now in retrospect doesn't really matter? I don't think so. Can you I, think of anything? No, I can't think of anything specific. I, I do think that when you were young, mm-hmm. we maybe at times we maybe got a little caught up in sort of the society the social concerns of I need my child to go to the best school and I need them to get the best education. You and always sent me to public school. We did, that, but that but with, that's right because Alaska didn't have a lot of private. They didn't yeah. have private systems, but within the public school, you would you would listen to what the I other went to very good public schools. Yeah, well, and and you listen to Some the schools. other parents that maybe had a child one grade ahead, and you know what do you think what of teacher? the you yeah. know what te- of the of right. the choices so for first that grade? It seems like Which the one? really matters. We thought the teacher really mattered. As, well, especially in a system where the curriculum it was very set. going to be set. Right. We thought and so we would try so our concern were was to pick the teacher that we thought was the best based on what other people said, but with hindsight, we really didn't. So know. what kind of things did you look for in a teacher and which kind of things would you now advise parents to look for in a teacher? I think we looked for teachers that seemed like parents liked them and children liked them and they said they're learning a lot and the teacher's responsive to questions. But what I think we missed a little bit of was trying, understanding that you needed the child to have a good fit with a teacher. Right. So it's not the teacher and it's not the child necessarily, but it's their interaction together. I think it's the interaction. Yeah. And I mean... You know, there were there were some teachers that were just playing bad, so you avoided them. So if there right. were if there were three teachers teaching at a at a grade level, you know, two of them would have been fine. One of them, you tried to avoid. It wasn't. That's know. really tragic, but okay. Yeah. Well, you know. But yeah. I guess in what were we what what maybe were we getting caught up in was just that well, there's only one teacher that could be the good teacher. Right. Whereas we sh- we could have looked a little more, just like saying there's only one college that could be the right college or one high school. It's really now with hindsight, we needed to think a little more about the fit because every child is going to be successful in maybe a slightly different environment. Right. And the goal is to get them the tools so that those differences matter less. But in early childhood, you're saying maybe that they matter more. I think that they mattered a lot because you maybe the biggest issue was wanting to be sure you got off on the right foot. Right. 
And I think a lot of that... I think that, that causes parents a lot of anxiety. I'm it Well, and I think it caused us a lot of anxiety. But I think that we could have just been a little more calm about it and just looked to see what fit well with you instead of trying to say... What, what is the best? What is the best? There is no the best. There's what is the best fit Match for my the child. child and the teacher. And the children all develop at different speeds, and I don't think we really understood that very well at the yeah. time. We needed to just be a little calmer and know that you were going to learn to read, and if we were there to help, you were going to be able to get enthused about school and find interest. There, was, there wasn't any certain thing you needed to do or certain activity you but needed to do curiosity we needed to spark curiosity so what so you guys are pretty involved or you've been very interested in um my education process always but especially when i started my montessori teacher training and hearing about that and visiting the classrooms that i've taught in and hearing stories about the kids and being curious about the pedagogy um what has been most interesting about it to you or as parents what has been the thing that most made you think or if anything's made you think oh I wish I would have thought that oh I wish I would have known that um when I was little well I think the 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 biggest thing is the that if you present material right or opportunities right in the classroom the the kid the child will be the motivator uh, they will be yeah. internally motivated. You know, it's not, it's not external. I think, um, at least our experience growing up, has been the opposite. You try to motivate your child, right? And and uh, what we see with your your education in Montessori is is uh, you try to put the 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 child in a position where their own motivation is what drives them to learn. How do you think that that affects the child's development and their future education. There was an interesting comment that one of your high school teachers made one time, and they said, at that time... Is this going to be embarrassing? No. Okay. They were telling us about how, in high school, children have to make that transition from working at school and getting good grades for their parents to wanting to work and get good grades for themselves. And I see, and, and children that can't make that leap kind of fall apart when they reach some point in high school. And I think one of the things I liked about what I see you teaching is what your dad was just saying, that from the very beginning, you're not saying good job, good job, mm-hmm. and having the child perform for the teacher you're having or the child the, perform parent. for themselves or for the parent. It's you're for themselves. You're teaching them how to self-evaluate and self-motivate. And mm-hmm. I think that is. I think that helps them long-term. They don't have to then later have this difficult transition period. Or, or have a crisis period for a couple of years where, where they figure out how to be self-motivated, e- either yeah. in high school or even college. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that that's a large problem when children go, or children, young adults, go off to school for the first year and they don't know what to do with themselves. They don't know how to ask for help. They don't know when they need help. They don't know when they're supposed to study or how or why or there's nothing inside driving them. There's no one pushing them. No one's telling them what to do. And And they they don't know why they're there. They were a straight-A student in high school, and now they're in college, and they're living in a dorm, and there's no one driving them 
and they don't they, know how to drive themselves. Yeah, they yeah. they they take a while to figure it out. So, so as it, parents, though, I think it can be really scary for parents to to hope that they say, "Well, what? Well, what if they don't? Like, what if I?" don't motivate them and they don't motivate themselves and like what's gonna happen this horrible anxiety well i think all, you you just have to learn to be a little calmer because and you and 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 focus i'm i'm recording you i and I'm i know play that back i understand you. and i was not calm no with hindsight i think that it's just like every child, your dad used to say to me, every child learns to be potty trained before they go to first grade. It's going to be fine. It's going to I happen. think the best environment you can give them, I'm really enthused about the Montessori environment yeah. for the things your father said. And and then I guess the also the piece of uh, helping the child be more independent. We've Your dad and I saw a lot of children longer term as they grew up that didn't have that independence and the parents, including us sometimes, had a hard time letting go and letting the child make mistakes and not well, do everything perfect. And I think the Montessori school um, approach does a good job of teaching independence. And that helps long-term yeah. too. Well, in the Montessori training in me, would say that this internal motivation is is part of being human. That when given when our developmental needs are met, we will be internally motivated. We will, that is part of the human, human nature, part of the human condition. It's a tendency that we all have. And so, but that we can smother it with our anxiety and our help and our helicopter parenting. I think that's very oh, true. Sure. So it remains We've seen a lot undeveloped until they are faced with the real world and then they have to... Right, and it then out. it can be very catastrophic, or yeah. it can, it yep. can, be stressful and more damaging. Sure. Than figuring that out in preschool, or, and I think that you know they have to make some mistakes, and they have to. It'll come with time, and every child is a little different. It takes a little more time. I realize that isn't helpful to yeah. a parent that is stressed and worried, and I, I certainly understand that. So, what things about Montessori were really surprising to you? Or if any, the most or th- that didn't make sense, or that made you think like, uh, I don't know about that. One thing that always kind of I didn't quite grasp until I saw your classroom was how you could have different ages in the same classroom. Mm. I I had always been focused on we're all going to learn to do this math problem all right. together right now, whether we feel like it or not. Uh huh. And this idea that different students are going at different speeds and learning different things. And working on different things at the same time. At the time. same time. I could not fathom that. But now that I've seen it in the classroom, I can see a lot of advantage to that. Because when you're young, you, you don't all develop interests and, and they're not maturity. All the at the, at the same They're time. just not right. at the same. Right. So to try to force them to be in the same block... With you know now looking at, it, I think how could that make any sense? But that was the world I grew up in. Well, Everyone that's the was world in the I same grew block. Up in too, yeah. So that was very that was one thing that was very surprising to me that I couldn't imagine how that would work. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing that that I thought was a little odd maybe was that you use materials that 
can have logical consequences. Oh, I would yeah. always think with, with small children, you use plastic bowls, maybe plastic scissors, no knife. So they can be, be safe. So they can be safe, yeah, and you don't break bowls all the time. But you take away the logical consequences and they don't learn when they drop something or if they use a tool or scissors improperly. Yeah. So it it makes sense once you think about it. But yeah. Well, and you want to balance it because, of course, you don't want to say, well, <laughs> learn about traffic by walking into the road. <laughs> like, you, there, there's a balance. Sure, yeah. there's a balance. But, yeah, it's it's interesting that... That, that we take logical consequences out of a lot of children's lives just because we're concerned, overly concerned about safety in some instances. Yeah, I think that when I was growing up, and certainly when you were growing up, well, especially where you did grow up, that we were given more space to get hurt. Definitely. Than a lot of children that I have seen today. Or the culture that we're surrounded with now. Yes, I mean, the big thing is you can look at playgrounds. The playgrounds that were uh, available when I was in in elementary school were death traps. Yes, but but we survived them somehow. Yes, yes. Um, What? So you've both visited various of the classrooms that I have been in. Um, And so I guess I'm curious as people that have raised children, when you come into the classroom, and you've come in both as volunteers and observers, um, what has been the most interesting thing for you to see? Well, in the in your classroom you're in now, what's interesting to me is you've got children that come from some, come from very different backgrounds, mm-hmm. but they seem to sort of mesh and get along they all coexist very well and it's not that I thought they wouldn't but I was pleased to see that and then you wonder it because we know different cultures don't always get along in our country you wonder is there something you're doing different or is it because of their age but that surprised me and and I really I like that different but it's one of the reasons I think Montessori is so important and why one of the reasons I love my classroom now is because you can see all of these children growing up and being very accepting, tolerant people. Mm-hmm. I have really liked your, you call it, um, you've taught us about your positive phrasing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I talked about that in the last podcast. I too. really like that. I wish that we would have known about that when you were young. I just see a lot of value in that. And I could see, it was interesting in the classroom to see the children um, using that with each other and being able to, they seem to express their feelings better than I remember in more traditional classrooms at a young age. Or understand their, even more than express it, understand their own feelings better. Yeah, they're more in tune. Yeah. You know, for them, for a child of preschool age to say, well, I did that because I was upset or I was frustrated. That's an expression that I don't think I would have particularly heard in a traditional preschool or classroom, not in the same way they can express their feelings in a very non-judgmental, positive sort of way. And Dad, when you visited? Well, I think the positive phrasing actually leads to something that you don't necessarily expect and it's like even though they're different ages and working on different things they still seem like they're a team yeah 
Yeah, they kind of like a, it's a like mind a meld. Bee yeah, hive or yeah. like an ant colony, an ant whatever. Colony. Um, <laughs> that they are all kind of coexisting and helping each other. And I don't know. They know how to work together because of the the monastery method. Yeah, and I think that's really going to help them down the road. You know, as they get into elementary school and and middle school there's group projects to be worked on well, and then and in the workplace we were earlier about the workplace and there's a lot of team projects and knowing how to get along yourself and get along and mm-hmm. be creative and adaptive and learn quickly and there's just yeah. a lot of value i i with hindsight i'm really sorry that we didn't know about montessori school i think that you would have really enjoyed it and and it would have been a good fit. Well, I think a lot of families, and I think you guys especially did, kind of did Montessori at home, and you didn't know it was Montessori, and you didn't call it Montessori, and you didn't, you know, do it all the time with all the things. But a lot of Montessori is so intuitive because it comes straight from observing children and seeing what their needs are uh, that people do it at home all the time without calling it Montessori. It's just a way of being with children, that may be, but without and here's the the view from a you not yeah. being a parent and us being a parent. When you're the parent, I don't know that it it may seem obvious to you. I'm not sure it always. Maybe we got lucky and sometimes did things in a Montessori way, but I think most of the time, you know, the parent is out there thinking, "I need parent training. I have no idea how to be a parent. I don't know how to handle this situation or that situation." Well, yeah, and especially if you if I mean parents that have more than one child they always say everyone's different i all my parenting parenting skills that i had for child a aren't working with child b what should i do and where as parents i mean it was 20 some years ago now but where as parents would you look to if you were trying to figure out what should i do when my child Whatever. Not that you ever had to do that because you. Of course me. not. But where would you have looked? Would you have asked your child's teacher? Um, I... m- maybe yes. Also, the other thing you you'd go you'd go buy a book. It was before mm-hmm. the internet, so now you just Google it. Right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah you'd <clears throat> you'd try to buy a child rearing book, or in the early mm-hmm. days when for an infant it was the Doctor Spock book. Oh, sure, I don't. You probably don't know about Dr. Spock, but at the time, that was sort of the uh, the, the expert, go-to. the go-to. There weren't, I don't, well, and you talk about, to other parents. What about other, like, indirect resources, like television and movies and things like that, and you saw parents or families interacting with children, did you see those as positive or negative models? Well, I think, you know, the ones, the generation before you were born like the late well the late 50s early 60s tv shows they tried to do an image of american family life like leave it to beaver leave it to beaver yeah. my three sons you know i guess you could have tried well, to like learn not some, really realistic they weren't completely realistic they were definitely purified right. but but they gave you some I guess they could give you some feeling about parenting, mm-hmm. but but by the seventies, the television shows were more about entertainment than than lessons. I think in many cases, and I'm not sure you know the downside to some of those '50s '60s shows. They were it was a very rigid type of parenting, right? And it wouldn't was... work for all children. There wouldn't be any you know 
Johnny's gonna isn't ready to learn numbers, so he's interested in I don't know right. his he's interested in in studying frogs. frogs so <laughs> let's let him study frogs for a while, and when he's ready for learning numbers, he'll learn them. Oh my goodness! In the fifties and sixties, that would not happen. So there what was about a schedule. Television for children. How did you decide what television and movies? would be okay for me to watch and when that's well, a it, it's a tough because i think tough. that that's something that's facing parents now even more so than when i was a child because there's ipads and we're more surrounded by media and it's more accessible and there's netflix and there's all of this mm-hmm. and i think that's a huge question for parents is how do i decide what they can watch and when and well, I, th- I know. I know. At, at one point, what your mother did was she interviewed you. Oh man! To to and asked you a bunch of questions and and then looked at your responses to decide whether you were ready to see this movie that had you know, uh, uh you know, a slightly more adult theme. Uh-huh. And, and and uh based on your answers, she decided whether or not you were ready. Um, I. You know, did you watch most of the things I watched with me, or did I watch most of them by myself? Oh, we watched. Oh, most we watched them with, them with uh, you. Probably all. I Do mean, especially the first time. Impacted how I received them. Like, did we have like conversations about? I, them we did. Or? We did. I think, and especially um, when you got a little older, well, even when you were young, we would talk about what we were seeing. Whether it was real or not. Whether it was right. real, whether it was, and if it was something maybe when you were really young that was going to be scary to you. We like might, The Land Before Time. The Land Before Time. Dinosaur uh-huh. movie. Yes. We might talk about it ahead of time. And when it was over, we might talk about what did you think about this? And and uh, and, and we'd talk about what parts of it were realistic and what wasn't. It, it is hard for parents to know. And I think it's especially hard when one child says, well, my friend is going to see X. I want to watch it too. And because children develop at different rates, what's appropriate for one child may not yet be for another. And that's hard for a parent. Yeah. And and there were some times where you other children watched things that you couldn't watch. Yeah. Oh, I and remember, I know you didn't I like that. the Titanic incident. Oh, mm-hmm. there you have it. So what, I guess we should probably wrap it up about now, but what looking back do you think was your biggest education-related anxiety that you wish you had asked about or you wish that that you think was silly now or that you, like, what would have been helpful? I wish someone would have told me to, to calm down and let you fail at small things early on. Mm-hmm. In, in especially elementary school. You know, maybe you're supposed to get a paper done at night and take it in the next day, and I would be sure that you did that because I didn't, I didn't want a failure. I didn't want you not doing well. I should have let you be more independent. And, and so if you didn't turn one in and you got a bad grade for it, the world wasn't going to end. Right. And I didn't fully appreciate that. I worried too much. Well, I think that about covers it. Thank you so much for coming in and allowing me to interview you and record you on our podcast. If any of our listeners have questions about what they heard on this podcast or um, 
ideas or suggestions for what we should talk about in the future, uh, please feel free to comment in or email me at emontan at laporteschools.com. Uh, until next time, this was Montessori Moment. Thanks for listening.